When this reading comes up, as it often does this time of the year, it brings back pleasant memories and amusing memories of my childhood days, my teenage years, because despite all the other muck that went on in South Africa, we had some good times. And um, I can remember as teenagers and youngsters, uh, we loved going to church on a Sunday night to even song. Uh, not because we were committed, but we got up to mischief in church. And all our priests at that time came from England. And as long as Father didn't catch you, otherwise you'd be in big trouble. And I'm reminded of, this reading reminds me, and I don't know if the priests got it from this reading, the ritual that they did in baptism services. Uh, Some of them, after they poured the water over the baby's head and they've done certain things, then they lift the baby up. And they say something like, we receive this child into the congregation of Christ's flock. Or they say, we welcome this child. And some of them, not all, some of them who then walk down the aisle, which would probably be twice as long as this aisle, walk down and come up again. And uh, we would think it's very, very amusing because father walking with this child maybe. And uh, being naughty, I often thought, I wonder what happens if the baby goes burp sort of thing, you know, as <laughs> going down there. So I don't know if this, uh, if, it, if, if what the priest did came from this, um, what Simeon did in lifting Jesus up high and so on. But as Simeon lifts Jesus up, baby Jesus up there, he in a way, addresses God. It's not a prayer, um, and I think Charlie said a prophetic something earlier. Prophetic praise or something. And he said, amongst other things, he said, my very own eyes have now seen what I've been waiting for for a long time. And uh, But it's better if I read it to you. I brought a slightly different Bible, contemporary version, because sometimes... I find it a little easier on my brain uh, because my first language is not English. So in verses 30, 30 to 32, Simon says this, as Simeon says this, with my own eyes I have seen what you have done to save your people and foreign nations will also see this. Your mighty power is a light for all nations, and it will bring honor to your people, Israel. At long last, I have seen, Lord, with my own eyes, the life saver. I have seen this person, uh, the life saver for every single person in the world. Everyone, no matter where they come from, what their background, what their religion what their tradition, you've sent Jesus to be the savior of the nations. Now, who gives Simeon the right? What gives Simeon the right to say what he did? Because he speaks out a huge claim for all the nations of the world. Who is the Simeon? On Facebook and Messenger, I've learned about profile or profile 
Profile, Simeon's profile, verses 25 to 28, slightly different version. At this time, a man named Simeon was living in Jerusalem. Simeon was a good man. He loved God and was waiting for God to save the people of Israel. God's Spirit came to him and told him that he would not die until he had seen Christ the Lord. So, well, there you go. Simeon's background. And that gives him the authority or the motivation to say what he did. However, if anyone is in doubt about Simeon's words, Simeon's prophecy over Jesus, another person pitches up, the prophetess Anna. What's her background? Verses 36 to 38. The prophet Anna was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. Background well established. And she was very old. In her youth, she had been married for seven years. But her husband died. And now she was 84 years old. Night and day she served God in the temple by praying and often going without eating, fasting. At that time, Anna came in and praised God. She spoke about the child to everyone who hoped for Jerusalem to be set free. So this recently born Jesus, this baby Jesus, is firmly established as the hope for all nations by those prophetic words. Now, how does all that translate into real life? How did that become reality? How does that work out for us now in our time? We'll come back to that in a moment. In terms of this being the hope for the nations, we'll have a look at some of the nations as they were then known. And the way it came to me was... um, through morning prayer a couple of Saturdays ago, Saturday the 12th of December. As you know, um, Anglican ministers, priests, and a couple of others, we supposed to do daily prayers, morning prayer, evening prayer. And thanks to St. Andrews, I learned to um, create variations in morning prayer, so it's much more enjoyable. However, on that Saturday morning, the reading was Isaiah chapter 10, verses 12 to 32. And don't worry, I won't read the whole thing. So I started reading Isaiah chapter 10, and I'm only going to read two verses, verses 12 to 13. Didn't even think of the nations or anything like that. And this is how it runs. The Lord will do what he has planned against Jerusalem and and Mount Zion. Then he will punish the proud and boastful king of Syria, who says... I did these things by my own power because I am smart and clever. I attacked kings like a wild bull. I took the land and the treasures of their nations. I have conquered the whole world. It was easier than taking eggs from an unguarded nest. Wow! This probably head or chief of a superpower building himself up even more taking 
all the um, honor on himself. I've done it, ignoring God. Then I thought I'd better look at verses 1 and 2. This is interesting. This is talking about the powers, the, the, the countries, the different um, governments there are. Well, for me it was. Then I looked at verses 1 and 2. And it begins like this, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah. You people are in for trouble. You have made cruel and unfair laws that let you cheat the poor and needy. I thought, blast. That talks about the government or governments. And then I flicked through, not in this Bible, in the new international version, and I was amazed. Maybe they didn't teach me. This is a theological college. I was amazed because chapter 11 is the prophecy about the birth of Jesus hundreds, thousands of years ahead. Not yet. Chapter 13, a prophecy against another superpower, Babylon. Chapter 14, verse 24, a prophecy against Assyria. Chapter 15, a prophecy against Moab. And so it went on and on and on. I thought, heavens, the nations of that time, all under the judgment of God. A picture of our various territories and countries and governments and um, whatever they call them, were given the task or the chance to be involved in God's saving work. But they soon became arrogant, selfish, self-centered, everything for their own benefit, to the detriment of others. And so they lost what they had, sometimes fighting against each other or infighting. And strangely enough, coming a little closer to a home in terms of Jesus, the hope for the nations, I came across this about God's own people having failed. And the comment goes like so. The Hebrews, the Jewish people, many, not all of them, many of the Jewish people came to take great pride in circumcision. How? Circumcision became to them a badge of their spiritual superiority, also a badge of their national superiority. This practice fostered a spirit of exclusivity. You're not playing with us. Instead of a missionary zeal to reach out to other nations as God intended. They didn't reach out. They didn't do as God intended. They were certainly not, not doing anything for, in terms of hope for all nations. The picture that I got from that, when a nation rises to greatness and powerfulness and think they can take the place of God or ignore God, they will go down the gurgler, as the Aussies say, sooner or later. And world history, as I'm sure you'll agree, has borne that out. Just think of all the great powers, the superpowers that once existed and then and ruled supreme. Where are they now? They eventually sizzle out, or fizzle out rather. Great powers ignoring God's love for all people 
no matter where they come from. When they do that, that superpower loses. They lose their status sooner or later. And sometimes it's later because it takes many years and people think, when is this going to end? When is there going to be an end to this? Where now is the Roman Empire? Where is Hitler's conquests? And something that I think that we don't hear of a lot, Hitler's experiments to create a superior race. Where's that? All gone. Now, this happened in my mind and spirit on that Saturday morning as a result of the Isaiah reading. So I sat there and had what I thought was a frightening thought. I wondered which superpower is uh, top of the heat parade, which one is currently the greatest, or which, one th- which ones think that they are in terms of this hope for the nations. And that went round and round in my mind. I thought, hmm, I wonder who. And of course, the Sunday morning came to church, and I heard the answer to that. And I hope I've got it right. But I'm sure Charlie will put me right if I didn't. And I think it went something like this here in church. By 2050, in terms of world superpowers, was it 2050? I think so, yes. I won't ask any more, Charlie. By 2050, in terms of the balance of power, it will most likely be from the top, China. I thought, blast, I thought that yesterday, but I was a bit too nervous to say it. China. Then India. The US. Indonesia. Brazil. And in terms of what the Chinese government appears to be doing currently, I thought, let me Google and see how many Christians there are in China. But I'll add a disclaimer, Google is sometimes not accurate at all. But I thought, oh, well, this is one way of just getting something. So I Googled it, and one source said that there are 33 million Christians in China in 2018. Another source said there are 70 million Christians in China. And I thought, a fraction of the population. But when I thought a fraction of the population, the thought came to me, so was Jesus and the 12 disciples, a fraction of his population. And look what Jesus did. And look what his followers did, including the ones who at first escaped, ran away, denied him. All of them helped in the end. And therein, I think, lies this process of Jesus, the hope for the nations. Not only in terms of the the Christians in China, but in almost every nation, there are Christians, either the organized church or the underground church, those who fear for their lives if they are found out, they're found to be Christians. But there is the process in this mission, Jesus' mission, in which the Holy Spirit includes us, his disciples, past and present. And then the thought came to me in terms of past disciples, those of you who were in the service Christmas morning, 
What did the other wise man do? He gave new hope to a little girl. I thought, bingo, that's the sort of thing. New hope in those acts. And that means that his worldwide church, the Lord's worldwide church, is involved in this hope for the nations. The church is included, and it means us here, all of us, each one of us, and others not yet here. And then I thought, there are people, I'm one of them sometimes, who say, well, you see, I can't really do that, or do like that one, that, or uh, is as highly educated as that one, or is an expert in that thing like that one. And one of my favorite songs, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful song in terms of psychology, very, very academic, the butterfly song. If I were a butterfly, I'd do certain things. If I were a robin in a tree, I'd sing beautifully. If I were a fish in the sea, I'd wiggle my tail, but I'm not. But you gave me a heart, you gave me a smile, you gave me Jesus, you made me your child, and I just thank you, Father, for making me me. So it is that me who is the one who goes to the other person. When I left Townsville, the church warden said to me, Trevor, wherever you go, be yourself. I thought, ah, okay, I'll be my foolish self, you know, make lots of jokes and laugh and so on. You, you do what you can do. And I'm also glad when I came to this church, that's the guideline I was given. What you want to do, what you feel you can do, do that in the parish and so on. We follow the example of Jesus, and in that way we affect the whole world. And it also reminds me of two other things. I once came across, I might have spoken about it before, I came across a little cartoon in a magazine in New Zealand. The local Christian radio station were raising funds, and this cartoon had a drawings of lots and lots of faces and heads and people, and at the top there, what can one person do? What can one person do? What can one person do? And the caption, one person can change the whole world for one other person. I thought, wow, one person can change the whole world for one other person. And to conclude it all, just the other day, I think it was Christmas Eve morning, I came across something that I'd never seen before, written by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And this is what she said. Now, this is all in terms of hope for the nations and our job, our share in it that Jesus gave us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Mother Teresa wrote this, People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered, forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of being selfish with ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spent years building, someone could destroy overnight. 
build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. A little prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving each one of us a share, a job in bringing hope to one another, hope to other people, hope to the nations. Continue to bless and enable us by your Holy Spirit. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.